Conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. Welcome to the conversation with Tommy Weber. I am Tommy Weber from my hometown, New York City, Tribeca, to be exact, on a, a beautiful spring day, finally. The weather has relented, and we are here. And my guest is a man with some baseball distinction. Uh, for all the teams that I've been associated with and all the college and professional guys that I've, uh, I've been around, he is somewhat of a unicorn. He's one of only two players um, that I've coached or managed who were legitimate two-way players. And two-way player is a guy who could pitch and a guy who could play a position and hit. Now, a lot of guys call themselves two-way players, but I've only had two that were really outstanding, elite at both ends, playing the field, hitting, and pitching. And by coincidence, they're both named Esposito. One was Dean Esposito at Wagner College back uh, in the 80s, we're not even going to say. And my guest today is Anthony Esposito, who was a, a big part of some outstanding uh, teams that we had under the tutelage of Frank Del George at St. Francis College. Anthony Esposito, welcome, my friend. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you having me here. Uh, well, this is a long time coming. We, um, we've had so many conversations about the state of baseball life and a lot of other things over the years. I, I really, um, when we started doing this, you were high on the top of my list to get you in here. You are a, uh, a rabid Met fan. Yes. I am. All right. <laughs> Twitter call. They asked if you could just take it easy. It's early. It's early, <laughs> but you have a great cogent perspective on the game. You have a very high baseball IQ. You played the game at a very, very high level as an elite player. And that was one of the things I wanted to get into you um, f- from the very beginning. You obviously work, you have a family, you have two girls, you know, you're, you're, you're a regular guy, but you're not a regular guy. You're a guy <laughs> with, with a lot of experience at a very, very high level. Talk to me about the difficulties of you discussing the game with guys who simply either never played, which doesn't invalidate them at all, but they don't have the same level of experience that you do. And they tend to be more of the fanatic fan than you are. It's, it's, it's hard because you sort of, you know, you, you sort of cringe a little bit, right? Because everybody says, you know, I've played the game, I've played the game. And, you know, I make no illusions about who I am as an individual. And I play the game at a relatively high level, you know, as a Division One athlete. But, you know, I've sort of always been someone who've studied the game inside the game, right? Sort of the different nuances and how, you know, the game sort of takes on, you know, takes upon a life of its own and how you react and, and whatnot. And, you know, you listen to different people's perspective and I, and I respect the perspective that, you know, people want to bring, but, you know, having lived it to a degree, it's interesting. You know? so, <laughs> you're being kind. Yeah, I am. I, I, to, you're, you're being kind. To be okay. kind. You're you know, a kind I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, you know. You don't want to alienate anybody right out of the no, box. No, absolutely not. Okay, you know? we'll wait for like maybe three minutes from now. Yeah, you can, well, you can turn everybody we'll off. Get, we'll get into a little <laughs> bit deeper, but yeah, you know, so I sort of have, you know, having lived it a little bit to a degree, I sort of always watch a game and, you know, and I think about it, you know, as if, if I was on the field myself, if I was managing, if I was GM, if I was playing. Right, you have a degree of empathy that other people might not have. C- correct. Uh, you know, to, to, you know, to an extent, yes. And, you know. And you don't take everything that the announcers say as gospel. You no. Know, 
No, I, I try to formulate my own opinion watching the game, right? And, and to a degree, sometimes we'll watch, you know, I'll watch the game with, with the sound off, right? And just what would I do in a situation and sort of how would I react and, you know, and, and sort of take it from there. You know? you know, it's interesting you said that. I I, uh, I do a uh, a thing uh, Sundays with Tommy where I'm at the piano for a minute. Yes. And I, and I, blur I know it well. And one of, the, one of them was that I stopped watching. I want to watch without the sound because I think that no matter how much you know, if somebody keeps saying something to you, you start to see it, even if you don't really see it. Yeah, you You're see it through someone else's eyes, right? Absolutely. So it's amazing how many games I watch, and I'll talk to a friend of mine about the game the next day, and I know that he listened, and it's as if we watched a different game. Yeah, it's sort of like people are making up your mind for you. Right. You and know, I think also it's a passive it's a passive watch when you're listening. You can yeah. kind of go to sleep and sort of, you know, doze off. But if all you have are your eyes, you're fixed on the TV, you're fixed on the screen, and you're looking for information to process like we did in the dugout. Right. No, it's true. It's You're watching the game through your own eyes. You're formulating your own opinion. You're not letting anybody sway you in a certain direction, right? So, I mean, it seems now, especially when you talk about, you know, especially if you watch the Yankees or the Mets, right, it seems like those – those broadcast announcers. I, I mean, the Mets I love. I, I think they bring a very unique perspective. I think they're very hard on the team when they need to be. And I think, you know, the, the, the Yankees, you know, I'm not a Yankee fan, so I'll, I'll try to... No, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm objective. I think, I, I, can, I, think, I think they I sort of, uh, you know, they sort of wax poetic about, you know, the production on the field when you're actually watching something different. You know what I mean? But... Um, yeah, so. the Yankees are more of a corporate sell. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's a tale of two different organizations. Absolutely, right? you know it's it's totally different. It's Absolutely. not. Uh, oh, it certainly is. We've <laughs> talked about this yeah. on, on numerous occasions yes. from top to bottom, yes. right? You know yes. about how uh, you know the business model for both for both organizations, but you know, so it, it's uh, I, I I do I do appreciate though. You're right. The the the, the whole Met and Yankee um, way has to be different by virtue of the history, by virtue of where they stand financially. It's just a very, very different vibe. Um, so I'm going to make you, uh, you know, commissioner, right? And uh, what would, if you were commissioner tomorrow, which you could be, uh, <laughs> believe me, don't, don't, don't buy into the fact that just because the guy's the commissioner, he's some brain surgeon. Tell me something you would change tomorrow. You would, you would try to initiate tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't change anything. Nothing. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I would get rid of replay. Oh, that's a big change. I think. I think. I think replay. I think. I think part of the game and part of what the beauty of baseball is is sort of the human element to it. And uh, you know, I think replay nowadays is really um, brought to the forefront some of the deficiencies we have with umpiring nowadays. Wow. Um, oh, you don't want to say that. <laughs> you sure, you want to say that? You know how much. First of all, I have the utmost respect. <laughs> I love the umpire. I think the umpiring has never been better. I think these guys are like, they're like, they're better than the hand surgeon they fly in to like reattach the uh, cello player's well, I, I finger. I, I, that I he think lost. if anybody who's listening who's watched the Yankee game today, it's Sunday, April 22nd, would, would sort of disagree with you, but okay. uh, <laughs> they're free to do so. We're not, we're not, we won't get into that, but I think some of the beauty of the game is the human nature and the human element to it. You know, mm -hmm. the, you know. Uh, so how would you answer the guy who says, well, we have to get it right. We have to get it right. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. Um, so I would say this. I don't really care if they, all, they get all right. It's like the perfect woman. There's no such thing. You know, there's, if you look, <laughs> if you look long enough, as beautiful as you think she is the first go around, you go, well, you know, well, she got a little freckle there, a little something here. <laughs> the imperfections are what make it human. No, right? I, otherwise I, you're a statue. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I certainly do. I think, you know, I, I think part of the history of baseball has always been the human element and the human aspect to it, right? You know, the mistakes, the the game inside the game. And I think, you know, adding a, a level of replay to it sort of just, I don't know if I want to say cheapens it, but, you know. 
I think I think a good word is it's starting to get clinical and sterile. Well, yeah, it's starting to feel too polished. Yeah, because really, when you think about it, 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 you know, if you extrapolate this kind of philosophy to its most logical conclusion, all you're going to do is add more and more instant replay and review more and more calls. Next will be balls and strikes, and next will be they'll expand how many uh, replay choices you get. When in fact, you know, it's it's the worst kept secret in the world is that. 49% of the reviewed calls are overturned. Now, what I don't hear, and I'm always about what you don't say or what you don't hear, is I don't hear anybody saying, why are the umpires getting 49% of those calls wrong? Right. That sounds to me like a high percentage, because what you're really telling me is that on the calls that mean the most, I could flip a coin and get the same and result get the same I get result, right. from guys who are supposed to be the best in the world. So uh, if we're not going to hold the umpires to a higher standard, what we're going to do is we're going to increase instant replay, which is going to make them render the umpires at some point moot. Well, I think I think also, Teddy, we live in a society of like instant gratification, right? So it's like, you know, nobody wants to take the time out to really sit down and watch a baseball game. And one of the things that has always been a problem with baseball is sort of the length, right? So I think by adding replay to it, they say that it'll, you know, it'll, you know, sort of shorten the game or have a more true result. But at the end of the day, I think you're lengthening and you're making it longer, right? You're not really... Even if you shorten the time of the game, the pace is bad. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, but but that's... Baseball is always... That, that's one of the beautiful things about baseball, right? It's always been a game based on pace. And as a pitcher, you, you determine the pace, you know, you can... You, you, rhythm. Rhythm, right? right. Rhythm that's and, a big you know, part of being absolutely. successful as an a pitcher. An enormous, an enormous part of being uh, being successful. I wonder what the impact is on a guy, on a pitcher. I mean, you, you pitched. Yeah. So now here, we're playing, we're at the Narrows, we're playing Monmouth or whoever comes in. It's a big game, it's a conference game and the guy steals second and you're moving, you're cruising, right? You're cruising along, you know, you're throwing, you're ostensibly having a catch with the catcher. It's the fifth inning and now it's, you know, five minutes to uh, to determine whether or not the guy's shoelace touched the shortstop's glove what does that do to you as a pitcher? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, being a player especially being a pitcher is such an imperfect, like you know in perfect sense because like it, it may take you two or three innings to get your rhythm and then you fall into a trap where you know you're sitting there and you're replaying something for you know two or three minutes when you've just established that sort of rhythm and that you know that same sense of you know moving forward and you just you know you're sitting there and you're waiting for a, for a call to be uh, to be overturned or a call to be made correctly and meanwhile at the end of the day you're just you're sort of just marinating and waiting. Right. I wonder where all the analytics guys are when it comes to determining the effect of having a guy wait during instant replay. So when I say analytics, it looks like, uh, you know, you, you, you just, you know, you just bit into a, a sour sandwich yeah. right there. Um, yeah, I mean, so when we talk about analytics, I mean, one of the things is, you know, I don't think in today's game you can sort of poo-poo analytics. I think it's just the way that the game has sort of evolved and moved uh-huh. forward. Uh-huh. But I think you need to be careful with, you know, your use of analytics, right? Is It should be a toolbox for, you know, it should be a tool in the toolbox of a manager, right? It shouldn't be the end-all, be-all, right? You should utilize it to, you know, make an informed decision, you know, moving. You know, uh, given a certain situation within a game, right? You shouldn't just specifically make a move because the analytics tell you to, right? There's a certain feel in being a manager, on you know, and uh, how you call a game, right? It's a, I, I don't I, know, I, and I don't know, man. I, they're saying they're saying there isn't. They're saying that you know you don't want to you don't want to fall victim to the uh, recency bias. You know? <laughs> recency bias, one of my favorite terms. But I think I think it's it's sort of. You know, it transfers to you know all management. I don't think it necessarily just relates to baseball. I think at the end of the day, management is really how you, you know, uh, manage people who actually perform a certain task, right? So, I mean, are you going to let analytics 
specifically inform your decisions? I mean, like I said, it should be it should be a tool in your toolbox. But at the AJ end, AJ Finch would say yes. I, I know with certainty over the course of the last few years, given this whole analytics movement, there's been a point where you know a reporter has asked a question of a manager stating, you know, why did you make a certain move, and they've cited a specific analytic as, as to why they've done that. That's a big mistake in my in my estimation, right? If I would have more respect for that manager if they said, you know what, we looked at the history, we looked at the analytics. I sort of had a gut feel as to why I did. We don't get that anymore, though. That's that's not there. It's it's strictly by the book, and I think it has a lot to do with um, with how the structure is within baseball, you know, within within uh, organizations nowadays. I, I don't think the managers are hired to really manage the talent. I think they're there to really manage the numbers. Unfortunately, it's a great point. It's a great point. We're gonna take a break. And come right back and continue this extremely informed discussion with my man, Anthony Esposito. We will be right back. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. Pretty good guitar player right there. Good riff. Eric Clapton, Derek and the Dominoes. We are back with Anthony Esposito, former outstanding uh, two-way player at St. Francis for the Terriers when I was coaching there. We had a great couple of great teams. We just had a great time and um, so Fantastic thrilled times, to have uh, Anthony back. He's going to be a regular contributor anytime he wants. You have an open invitation because you're just so damn good at this. Appreciate that. Um you know, we're talking about analytics, and 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 look, I, I got to make it clear. I'm not some old Oriole who thinks nothing should change. You know, I the only constant in life is change. You know, we're yeah. changing all the time, and I and I embrace change. But but the the key is that when things change, you need to do a post mortem, which says is the change for the better or is it for the worse. It's right. not always change for change's sake is is ridiculous as well. Um, here, here's my take on on analytics. <laughs> You know, in 1941, if they had analytics, Joe DiMaggio could not have hit in 56 straight no, games. No, absolutely not. Because what would have happened have is Joe McCarthy, <laughs> Joe McCarthy would have gone would have gone to the Big Dago, which is what they called him. Okay, so uh, we're Italian. We're both Italian. We're allowed to say it. That's what they called him. Oh, right? I get it. I, get it. I know. Okay. We live in a different world. But that's what they, they would have gone to him and said, listen, Joe, okay, you get, you know, 21 straight games is enough. The guy you're facing today you're like two for 12 and we've got some journeyman player on the bench who was three for four against him in an American Legion game <laughs> seven years ago. You're going to have to sit the bench today. Don't worry about it. that whole 56 games. Don't, who, who cares? That been, it doesn't count. That would have been a great conversation to be a fly on the wall. But, but that I know it's absurd and I know it's hyperbole, but 
that's kind of taken to its most ridiculous and absurd conclusion is where you're at. I mean, yeah. you know, when Tyler Austin sat after hitting two home runs in one game and the next day he sat because they wanted to get Neil Walker to play first base because Sonny Gray throws a lot of ground balls. First of all, Sonny Gray's only in the game for four innings. Yeah, at this right? point, yeah. And anyway, Neil yeah. Walker's a second baseman. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I can't for the life of me think that you're going to take a guy who's, you know, the hot hand. They used to say you want to play the hot hand. Yeah. You know, you've, we've all gone to, you know, played cards or gone to a casino. You... You want to play the hot hand. And when you're cold, you walk away from the table. Right. And when you're hot, you keep riding it. And okay. and it seems like that's now. And if analytics was the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, then the casinos and the racetracks would be out of business. Gotta, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, because right? you would be able to predict the future. But right. you can't. No, you can't. You can't tell what's going to happen now. There's an unquantifiable element about being about baseball, right? I mean, In all sports. In all sports in general, right? I Which mean, is why you watch. Right. It's not you know, wrestling. You know, how is a guy going to react to a certain situation, right? Maybe he's 0 for 3 on a day versus a guy who, you know, he hasn't had some success yet. But, you know, maybe he's got some good swings in the, going in. Well, what's going to happen in the seventh or eighth? It's, it's all based upon right, feel. Maybe he had a fight with his wife the night before right. you know, or whatever, <laughs> There's a, which, which you can only glean yeah. by being in the clubhouse, taking the temperature of your team, right. knowing your players. And you're right. That's what management really is about. Because if you're going to make this all about analytics, then you might as well just get some bean counter, put them in a suit, stick them in a dugout with a laptop and say, okay, Joe, you're hitting here and Bill's pitching and, and that's it. You wouldn't really need a manager. Well, so and un- unfortunately nowadays it seems like that's what it is. And right. I, th- I think like I touched upon before the break was sort of like baseball has evolved where – uh, the chain of command has sort of changed, right? It's not so much where the GM goes out and he run, he worries about the front office uh, issues and developing talent and getting the players that the manager wants. It's sort of like we're hiring guys nowadays who are an extension right. of the analytics and the philosophy of the front office, right? So you're really taking away the manager's ability to, to manage based on feel as opposed to managing based upon the numbers, which I don't necessarily agree. I don't think you agree with it either. You know, oh, no, I don't. You know, at all. I, th- I think you need to live, give some latitude. Um, I don't want to be owned by the information. Like, no I reason, want to own the information. There's no, there's no reason for the Yankees to hire a guy like Aaron Boone, who's an ex-major league player, to just manage by the analytics, or even Gabe Kapler for the Phillies at that point. At that point, you can hire anybody off the street to do that. Correct. You want to hire those guys because they've been in games, they've been in situations. Right. And, You're really devaluing that. You're yeah, devaluing what it right. is that they really, what separates them from the guy who pays to buy a ticket. Exactly. That's, and that's sort of the point, right? Like, so why would you hire a guy with all that experience just to sort of handcuff him? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know? Right. It is. I, I've said, I use the word, you're enslaved by the information. Well, exactly. You become you, you, really, uh, you know, the, the information now tells you what to do. It's like the machines have taken over. Yeah. Um, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. You're a rabid Met fan. Yes. Okay. I, I use the term rabid because that's the appropriate term. <laughs> you are a whatever you want to call it. But you're, yeah. but but you're you're you are a a, a smart fan. You, you know you don't you don't think the Mets, you know you don't think the Mets should trade, <laughs> you know make these crazy trades. Yeah, here we're going to trade Conforto for Ria Right, or right, like that. exactly, right, yeah, exactly. You know. um, great start, obviously. Yes, uh, Mickey Calloway seems to like love them. He's going to love them into the into the, <laughs> into the into submission. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, into winning, yeah. Um, Give me, you know, where are we? What do you think? What do you? I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at the start. You have uh, to be. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the off season, like other people may have been. I think selling a guy like Jay Bruce, who was part of a failing club in the first half last year, isn't really an acquisition. It's more of just you know maintaining the status quo. I didn't think a guy like Todd Frazier was going to be um, 
I mean, I wouldn't say a welcome addition, but someone who the Mets really needed, another 220 hitter who clogs up the base paths. And strikes know, out a lot. And strikes out a lot. Jay right? Bruce, too. Another ponderous I've, white I've guy. Sort of been, I've been surprised with, with Frazier, you know, and I've been happy with that. Um, I think Frazier might be a guy who the more you see him, the less you want him. Like yeah, he, I, I he's think great so. in small spurts, but when you see the strikeouts start to mount and he hits two twenty, it's like you he, know what I like about Frazier? He's got that intangible quantity. Yes, he that does. You sort of can't you can't quantify, yep. right? He you know, he's, he's a veteran. He's sort no of doubt. that glue guy, right? Yep. But he's not a guy that I think you could sell a fan base on and say, oh yeah, we've made an addition of right. bringing in Todd Frazier, right? Um, so I, I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, I was really concerned about today's game, even if they, if they didn't play, it was rained out. But uh, watching last night's game, uh, I think there's a lot more warts on the Mets than, uh, than, than meets the eye. Um, you familiar with what a hot take is? You're new to Twitter, so you know what a hot take is? Have uh, you heard the term? I dated a hot take back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. A couple of good numbers Sandra on hot takes, was too. Name. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is a different hot yeah, take. Well, no, okay. You're on the right track. Right. So, so a hot take is sort of like a contrarian opinion uh, on social oh, media. That's me. I, yeah. am, I am one big hot take. Yeah, we're, we're oh, all okay. Yeah, so, all right. so, so my hot take since 2015 has really been that, you know, Jerry's Familiar is not a closer that you can trust 100%, right? Um, Walks, guys. He doesn't check the boxes, right? So for, for, for a guy you want to close, you want someone who pounds a strike zone, who's got a put-away pitch, and someone with a little bit of edge to them, right? I don't know. I watch him. He sort of has that puzzled, quizzical look on him all the time. And he's got great stuff, don't get me wrong, but, you know. So do a lot of guys. You're brought into the game last night where you scored three runs late. Uh, your bullpen falters a little bit. You're against the seven, eight, nine batters, and you cough the game up, you know, against the veritable nobodies. And the... Uh, you know, I was told I was crazy in 2015 when I said I, I didn't think he was a cre- you know, he was the answer. And uh, he, he's done nothing since then to sort of uh, make me feel any better. <laughs> he gave so, up the home run to what's his name? The lefty? Connor Gillespie. Oh, boy. Right. Oh my God. So the, the interesting thing, and, and here's my take on, 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 uh, on Familia, is that in an age today where we focus so much on relief pitching, right? So nowadays, like, the the norm is you get five innings out of your start and right. turn over to the right. bullpen, they, right? They put a monument up to you if, if you, you do can, five innings. You can't, you can't swing and miss at the closer position. Can't do it. Right. Because you, 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 all your eggs are in that basket. In that basket. At you know, that point, you've run out of bullets. Yeah, you fired all your bullets at that point, right? right? So right. You, you can't swing and miss, right? So I'll take the guy any day who pounds the strike zone, who's got a finishing pitch, and who's a little bit, a little bit edge to them, right? Someone who you can trust in the situation where you know things aren't always going the right way, just doesn't do it for me, you know. And I think at the end of the day, unfortunately, I think the Mets ceiling is somewhere between eighty-eight and ninety-two games if they continue on. That's a playoff. I, you can get to the. Playoff. I think they get the playoff, but it doesn't inspire confidence in a one playoff game like they did against right. the Giants a few years ago, where they you went up against the, you know an ace like Bumgarner and they couldn't hit him, and then you give up a three-run home with a Gillespie, but you close it, right? So, um, I have some concerns. I'm happy. Uh, I'm pleased thus far, but um, moving forward, um, it's going to be an interesting summer, that's for sure. Um, my, my take also with the Mets is the, the Mets strike me as a team. I think you have to decide what you are. Right. You're either a contender or you're a rebuilder. And it seems to me like the Mets always sort of, um, even with the, 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 the big management changes, which is a big change, obviously you change sure. the manager. Uh, it, it, the Mets always seem to be neither one. You know, they, they don't make up their mind as to what they want to be. Now, I understand there is a, a fiscal imperative, right. which, which uh, certainly plays a role in that. But nonetheless, you still got to make up your mind as to what you want to do. And it always seems to me like guys like Jay Bruce and um, 
and and Todd Frazier, you know, and keeping Reyes, it, it just seems to me like you you almost you can't kind of let go and and pull the trigger. I mean, you know, Jay Bruce is you know kind of a big guy, lumbering, no speed, power in a ballpark where power really isn't. You know, you better have guys that can get on and move runners move along, runners, you right. know, and and hit doubles and and score lots of runs uh, because once you play. Once you play the the first division kind of teams, now you're going to strike out a lot. You're going to stop scoring runs, and if your pitching isn't perfect, you can't win those well, games. That's, that's been my contention with them all along: is the fact that I I don't think the way the team is constructed is conducive to, you know, the division the they're playing. Number one and number two, their field, right? I thought a guy like D. Gordon would have been a great, you know, would have been a great right. addition. Someone triple that guy's right, a triple. Someone at the top of the lineup who's who's uh, you know causes havoc on the base pads can steal your bag whenever you want. You can play a little bit of small ball. I mean, they've they've gotten some of that to this point, but I think in the long term, they're really not built that way. I also think they um, overplayed their hand on Darno. I think I think they yeah you, you needed to. Kind of, I I don't know that Darno could be. First of all, Darno can't stay on the field. That's, that's that's the first first problem is he can't stay on the yeah. field. The second problem is he's a disaster behind the plate. I mean, he really is a poor catcher. I mean, the truth is, if you really want to break it down, though, the catching position in Major League Baseball Absolutely. in general is terrible. Everywhere, everywhere. We, I mean, I, you I, know, we say it up in the Cape. Nobody can. Catch, there are no catchers. There's no catchers. There anymore. are no catchers. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I think know. I think when you think about it in terms of guys who can who are two, I guess you consider two way catchers. I mean, what is Yadi Molina about almost forty at this point? Right. And right. he's still throwing guys out. And he's playing, but there's nobody really. Right. There's no air apparent. There's no air apparent to, to him. You know right. what I mean? So I th- except I think that he's really bad. I mean, he's <laughs> a poor catcher. He really is poor. Yeah. And it's not like he's hitting Molina brothers, right? He's like the worst one, right? No, no, no. I mean, Darno. No. <laughs> oh, Darno. No, Yadi and Molina's a magnificent player. Well, but yeah, Darno, but, but Darno is not. He's not going to hit 35 home runs, no. and he's going to play really bad defense. And these teams in the National League, they'll run you right out of the ballpark. I mean, There's a got, lot of guys in the major leagues who can still who can swipe some bags, right? You have guys on, on uh, even on Cincinnati as bad as they are, they can they can they can run. You know, uh, you know, I, I've never been a fan. I've always I've always thought that the catching position for the Mets has been has been problematic. But um, but at the end of the day, when you, as a fan or even as someone, I guess in the front office, you look at it. What are the, what are the solutions that are out there? I mean, Absolutely. if you have a, if you have a good catcher who's a two way player, you're not going to just market him. But that's why do you that. don't go out and get Jay Bruce and Todd, and Todd Frazier. You you have to augment your team with guys that are a little bit more athletic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Kind of thing. So those I, those, I agree those acquisitions that. to me are troublesome. What do you think of Matt Harvey? I'm worried about Matt Harvey. I, I don't think he's playing for his spot on in the Mets rotation anymore. I think he's playing for his baseball career at this point. You know, I think it's you know, um, it's troubling. It's sad to see. Um, I was never a big fan of the whole Dark Knight thing. I think you should be you know, uh, you know who you are. But I, I think he's he's got lofty expectations to live up to, especially after having two significant type of injuries and surgeries. But um, I'm curious to see how he reacts to going to the bullpen because they made that announcement yesterday and he's going to be in the bullpen now. So um, I know he's a guy who's got a little bit of an edge to him and you know he's, he's come out and said that he's a starting pitcher. Um, I'm curious to see how he reacts to his new role in, be, in being in the bullpen now. It's going to be interesting. How does a uh, rabid Met fan look at the Yankees? I think the Yankees have a lot of blemishes and a lot. I'm worried about them as well from an objective standpoint. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Yankee. I've never been, I've always been someone who's surrounded by guys who are, who are Yankee fans. I've never really compared the Mets to the Yankees. Uh, I'm worried about their starting pitching. Um, I think Tanaka is, you have to worry about him a little bit from a health standpoint, right? Because he's got he's an issue with his elbow. He can go in any day. I don't know if Sonny Gray is the kind of guy who can. It's Phil Hughes. He, yeah, you, you might, I think that's a, that's a fantastic comparison. He's yeah. someone who needs to pitch at Minnesota and have anything right. on the line. Right. And 
I'll, here's another hot take for you. I'll go out and say the same thing about John Carl Stanton. I'm a little worried about it. I know it's April, and I first called that. By the way, I said <laughs> I, I, I said don't get him. I think John Carl Stanton is the classic guy who you have to get his best year out of him. Otherwise, you are not going to like John Carl. You have to get 54 home runs and 130 runs batted in. Otherwise, you have a guy that could strike out 250 times and hit 211. Yeah, and can't defend and it gets you nothing. You know, he disappears in for long stretches. It was a it was a head scratching move for me because you already had a guy like an Aaron Judge who was your thunder, right? right. So, what do you need a guy like John Carlos Stanton for? And the thing that worried me about Stanton the most is that he played in pretty much, you know. Uh, anonymity. Anonymity down in Florida against the weak NL pitching staff yep. that he beat up for years where, you know, he got lobbed softball questions after games against, you know, you're in the media market of the world now. Right, the, probably right. the most notable franchise in the United States and the Yankees. Right, right. How are you going to react to that now? And yeah, like I said, again, it's April, but I think there's, there's legitimate concerns if you're a Yankee fan. Um, about Stan about, and about the starting pitching staff as well, too. It is April, you're right, but his profile, his DNA as a baseball player is evident. He's not Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is a good outfielder. You know, for he's a, a six-foot-seven guy, he's, you know, he's got good hands in the outfield. Yeah. He takes good routes to balls. He can throw the ball very well. And he's developed as a hitter. He's not a strikeout waiting to happen. He'll get his, he'll take his singles. He'll drive runs. I mean... The, the DNA of, of, of Stanton does not look yeah, it, anything it, like that. It, it didn't make any sense to me when, when that move was made. I, I know everybody's talking about the free agent class of 2019 with guys like Harper and Machado and how the Yankees were going were gonna to splash in on that. I don't know how an acquisition of John Carlos Stanton affects that, but I don't think he was necessarily a guy that the Yankees really needed. I think they could have really spent their money more, you know, more wisely or, or even their, uh, their farm system capital and trying to, you know, boost up the, the starting rotation a little bit. To me, it seems like the Yankees are going to win a lot of 12-10 games this year, or are they going to be in trouble? Yeah, I, I don't know. Right now, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I, I like Tanaka a lot, but Tanaka is a guy who has an arm that can go at any moment. Right. And every time he has a bad outing, you have to wonder, are we one step closer to him having a catastrophic injury? More pins and needles would happen. And Sonny Gray's a guy who can't finish. And he throws too many pitches, and it's the fourth inning, and he's got 87 pitches. And you just know that this is not going to be good. He can't, he can't seem to, for all this electric stuff, and you hear about this all the time, I, w- I wish people would really just stop saying that. They're in the major leagues. Most guys have ridiculous stuff. Um, he just can't seem to finish, can't get guys out. And there's a skill and a knack that David Cohn had as well as anybody and El Duque and those kinds of pitchers had where they just got guys out. Yeah. Somehow they found a way to get guys out to get to 27 outs because that's what you got to do that's the finish line all the stuff in the world is great for an arcade game it's great for a showcase or a tryout but when you're in a game you've got to get guys out well it's funny because i was watching the yankee game a little bit on friday and you know the first graphic they come up with is oh he's got a six era but he's the strikeouts are there it's 50 he's got 15 strikeouts but who cares <laughs> First of all, everybody strikes out now. Who cares? Like, the strikeouts you know, are like, like no big deal. I don't care. What's the difference? No, there is. You know, it's it, to me. It was just. It was. It was. It was a ridiculous graphic. It was like. I mean, I understand. Like, you don't want to sit there and beat up a guy on your own network and whatnot. But let's let's be honest with each other. Seven ERA. If you strike out a hundred guys, doesn't make a difference. The production's not there. Right. You could just as easily say Sonny Gray needs to get it going a little bit here and have it, the rest of his arsenal catch up to his strikeout ability. Yeah. You know, he's got to start finish getting you know ahead of guys earlier, getting guys to swing and put the ball in play a little bit. I mean, this guy really does remind me a great deal of Phil Hughes. Phil Hughes and is. he does have magnificence. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's got a great breaking ball and a good fastball, but it just seems like he's, he's he, very early on, you realize 
this is going to be a long day with this guy. I didn't see one one off speed pitch or one uh, one two or o oh, two pitch that a hitter would say that I would even commit at this pitch. Right. It was just like, like big out of, misses out of, out of the hand. Out of was, his hand, it's a ball. It's a fifty four footer out of I his agree. hand. You I know agree. what I mean? So. Um, and unless it's like some rookie from double A, nobody's swinging at that. Right. You've been playing double A right, ball. Right. Yeah. Right. Unless and, you take a fan out of the stands, nobody's swinging yeah, at that. And that's, that's problematic, you know? So, uh, you know, pound the strike zone. What know? do you, uh, are the Red Sox for real? Are the Red Sox for real? I think they have the makeup to be real. I do. Um, I think it's a long season. I think, uh, you know, Sale hasn't pitched great yet. I mean, he's pitched well, well enough. Uh, you get him going, he's a stopper. Um, I think Mookie Betts is one of the best players in baseball. Tremendous. I, you know, if someone asked me today who I'd start a team with, I think the easy answer is Mike Trout. I think a good tr- contrarian answer is Mookie Betts. I, I like him a lot. I think he does a lot of things I got a well. hot take on Mike Trout. What's that? Be careful with Mike Trout. I could see that. I'll tell you why. Don't judge a guy by how long he's played. Don't ju- judge a guy by how old he is. Judge a guy by how long he's played. Yeah. Mike Trout has a lot of mileage. Mike Trout is the ninth. He's like the 2017 car that has 51,000 miles on him. He's got a lot of mileage on him. I'd be very careful about throwing bucket loads of money at him in the next contract, taking him into his mid-30s. I really would. And he plays very hard, and he plays a position that takes a lot out of him. So not to change the subject, here's how I'll answer the Red Sox question. I think they're good enough that the Yankees should be worried if they don't get to, if they don't play on par with them right now. I think they can build off enough of a tread lead. water. They could I think they, and and get to July or August where right. they could tread water where they're uncatchable. So that's what would worry me as a Yankee fan right now. I agree. I I think I think also another notion that is foisted on 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 the fan and they really need to take a better closer look at this because it's disingenuous is how long the season is. The season's not that long. No. When a team starts to sprint the season gets short very quickly. I'm not someone who will ever, who will ever subscribe to the notion that um, blowing a game in the eighth inning in April isn't as critical as blowing one in August. No, that's it's wrong. Because a lot of teams have lost out on the pennant by one game, two those games. Are, those are games you need to win, Absolutely. whether it's April or whether it's September 30th. And I'd rather be out, off to a fast start than have to try to catch somebody. I agree with you, too. And that's one of the things that I'm, that I'm happy about with the Mets because I know, having watched the team over the last few years and being, you know, Intimately into them, sort of, uh, so to speak. They uh, there is going to be prolonged um, streaks where they're going to lose four or five um, because they just can't put it all together. That's just I just think that's the way they're made up. Where they need to win as many games as they can early. I'll tell you what. um, I hate the Mets because they fired me, but that's a big different story. (laughs) Different story. We don't want to get into that. Um, I disagree. I I I think I think first of all the National League is really bad. Um, I, I think a lot of bad teams, a lot of mediocre teams in the National League. They don't score as many runs. They got the pitcher hitting. They don't have a DH. Uh, I think there's just a lot of okay ball clubs in, in in the National League. And I think that if the Mets stay healthy, if the Mets stay healthy, I'm not, I'm not, I don't see a lot of long losing streaks. Degrom's too good. Uh, Syndergaard needs to give them more innings. He's another guy. I don't care if you strike out 17 guys. You only go five innings. You know, you put, you really tax the bullpen. And if Mickey Callaway doesn't get, you know, fall in love with. Uh, uh, you know, killing his bullpen by July 1st, I think the Mets can be a factor. I think that they could sort of really hang in there because I don't think anybody's going to run and hide in that division. Um, and I, 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 as long as they can avoid big pitching injuries, that they can't, the Mets hang on a very thin thread. 
one pitcher goes down and they're in huge, huge trouble. Well, their entire organizational model is built off of starting pitching. Right. I mean, that's that's no secret, right? right? Guys like Mats and no and Syndergaard. Which is and why you could have a mediocre club if you. It really always, you know, you could change all you like. The bottom line is this: you have great starting pitching, you're going to go to the playoffs. So I think, like, so a pleasant surprise for me early on in the season has been guys like Gazelman and Lugo out of the bullpen. Right. But I think if you have to take one of those guys out of the bullpen for starts because of injuries to you, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Right. You're, you really are in trouble. Off. Right. For, for multiple reasons, right? I don't think I don't think they're as good as starters as the current. They get exposed, and they'll get exposed. Correct. No question. You know. No so, um, the bullpen makes guys rich who otherwise wouldn't even be in the major leagues because they only have to pitch one inning. Well, if they have to pitch three, they wouldn't be in the big leagues. Like I said said to my old man the other day, we were talking, I said, you know, guys like Gazelman and Lugo, they made themselves a ton of money by switching over to the bullpen. No question. You know, they can go out there, they could throw one or two innings, three innings if they need to, you know. Um, It's going to be interesting to see. I don't, you know, I guess, I guess the Met fan in me is sort of uh, glass half empty. So I don't, I don't hold out as much hope that the, uh, the, the injuries or the injury bug will stay away, or that they'll you know, they'll have the longevity. I, I just I feel like you need to win as many games as you can now while things are going well, before you know the dog days of summer come and you get yourself into a veritable dog fight with the Nationals and the rest of the Annalise. That's you just how I feel. That. Yeah, you don't, don't want to do that. that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Before we let you go, and you're definitely coming back because you're great, <laughs> uh, and you're bigger than I am, and you threatened me. But, <laughs> um, Saint Francis. All right, we're going to switch gears real quick. Right. When you think about what we went through, how great it was, how much fun we had. Just give me some of your, uh, the things that really stand out about your epic, and it was really a, a, a great college career that you had. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I first, first and foremost, I appreciate the kind words. I don't think of anything as epic. Um, I've always been someone who's self-aware and, and have known my strengths and my limitations. I think I had a very good Division One baseball career. I don't think I was great to the point where I was going to ever get to the next level. I think I was good at what I did. Um, when I talk about St. Francis, um, just great times, you know, uh, really good times. Some uh, you could talk about, some you can't. I some know, I can't. I, I, well, I mean, we, we could talk about the ones you can afterwards, but yeah, yeah. Um, I want to have another show. So yeah. I, I, so if I thought about, if I thought about a tagline for the St. Francis team that I played on from 2001 through 2004, or 2000 through 2003, whatever, I don't remember at this point. Um, I would say the best of the rest. That's a great one. That's, 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 what, I, that's what I would say, right? Like um, guys who aren't like, you know, uber recruited by some of these big universities and yep. whatnot, but guys in their own right who did several things well that if you put them together can, can really be a part of something good. Um, I think we always were one player short of really getting over that that hump or that edge. Right. Um, to loved, be a regional team. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I loved all the guys. Um, made lifelong friends, uh, especially with you. Um, and it's uh, memories that I'll never forget. I, I, I've said this a million times. Um, you know, uh, Frank Del George is an acquired taste. He's a dear friend of mine. And I understand that a lot of people, you know, hold Frank to a very, very high standard. And Frank, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches I have ever seen at the college level. I don't think anybody ever did more with less resources. And I think it would be a great study and a great story to tell, especially in this day and age where everybody's got a $900 bat and all the resources, turf right. fields. And, yeah, you know, no, I get it. I mean, he, he really um, did an awful lot with very little. And it took... There was only one guy who could do that, and that was Frank Del George. And I, I think that as you get a little older, guys start to look back and say, wow, 
there is something to thank him for. So I'll leave you with this. My thought is throughout the, my entire life of playing baseball, I had fantastic coaches, but I had better men surrounding me, starting with my old man. You could be the best baseball guy in the world, but everybody that I've played with or played for has been a great man. And he certainly falls into that category. There's no doubt about it. Well, you can't ask for more than that. We are, uh, that's going to be a wrap. Anthony Esposito, St. Francis, I can't thank you enough. This I really appreciate great. you having you me. Are gonna be, you might be my Ed McMahon. I would love you know, to do that. You're one of the few guys who knows who Ed McMahon is. We're going to deliver checks to people, too? <laughs> well, we're not going to do that. Let's not get crazy. Uh, but, I didn't uh, say how much. I just said checks. Yeah, yeah well, we, we, we are um, We're going to do this again. This was a blast. This was really great. If you're a baseball fan, you can't ask for more than this. A really uh, high-level baseball discussion with a high-level guy, my friend, Anthony Esposito. That's going to be a wrap. Uh, please join us again on the conversation. This is Tommy Weber, Lawrence and Fred's kid. We will see you soon. <laughs>